A respected man in the community had a son that was ill and near death. He came to Jesus for help, and Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The Bible then says the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Is your faith strong enough to take Jesus at his word? Is it simple enough to let God replace your best laid plans with his? If God says it, do you believe it? Is that good enough for you? A simple faith like that is either terribly naive or the expression of a settled conviction, a heart that is at peace because it trusts the Word of God. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. When the going got tough, this man got going, and he didn't stop until he was face-to-face with Jesus. Hello, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, always glad to have you with us, and today, Ron continues the story of a man whose son was about to die. He needed a miracle, and he knew just who to see to get it. Stay right here as Ron continues his teaching series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. Or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to Something Good Radio on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From John chapter 4, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Long Distance Miracle. Biblical faith is, I believe it, and then I see it. Then God opens up my blind eyes to see things I've never seen before. But I love the way the man responds here. Uh, He goes on to say, say in verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. In the original language, it's in the present tense. Your son lives, okay? Uh, This nobleman is undeterred by the challenge. He just sort of skates right by it, and there's such a desperation in his heart. He says, no, you don't understand. My son is about to die, and I need your help. He's not here to have a theological conversation. And based on Jesus' response here, the nobleman passed the test. He wasn't just looking at Jesus as a religious racketeer who do many signs and wonders. No, this guy's... This guy's need was genuine, and he had made the long journey from Capernaum to Canaan to see if Jesus would help him. So the first thing you do when your faith is in crisis, you you humbly go to Jesus. Every sinner who comes to the cross of Christ comes as a humble sinner. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of God. You come to the cross of Christ recognizing your spiritual bankruptcy, your poverty, that you've come to the end of your resources, and you come humbly. Whether you're a a poor garbage man or you're an important government official, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and everybody comes the same way. Second thing you do is you take Jesus at his sovereign word, When you're facing a crisis, when your faith is in crisis, it's time to 
to trust His Word, to take Him at His sovereign word. Because we go on in verse 50, and it says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith strong enough to take Jesus at his sovereign word, that you believe what he says? That it's not dependent upon some spectacular sign, some miracle, some wonder, but it's simple enough and it's strong enough to take him at his word. I remember growing up in the church, I used to hear people say from time to time, yeah, if God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. You ever heard that before? And it comes across to some people as naive. You know, those uh, uneducated Bible thumpers, they just, you know, if God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. I don't need to think. You know, that's the way some people interpret that. Or it's the expression of a settled conviction of the heart. Remember, faith is the assurance of things not seen. The conviction, the conviction of things you know to be true about God. And that expression can mean an expression of the settled conviction of a heart that is at peace with God and trusts His Word. And this is where that nobleman is. He, he has a choice to make here. Jesus said to him, your, your, your son lives. But see, that wasn't the plan. That wasn't what the nobleman had in mind. He traveled from Capernaum all the way to Cana of Galilee with the idea that he was going to persuade Jesus to make the long journey back to Capernaum and be there in the physical presence of his son and touch his son and heal him. You know, when you're facing a crisis in life, and your faith is in crisis, you know, we all kind of work out in our minds how God is supposed to work out the situation, don't we? God, if you just do this, or if you just do this, or if you just do this. This man wanted Jesus to come back to Capernaum, to sit by his son's bedside, to touch him and to heal him. And Jesus said, no, your son lives. All he had was a word from Jesus. And the Bible says at that moment he believed and he made his way back. That's a powerful faith. That's a faith that goes deeper than just the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the spectacular. I got to see it to believe it. No, Jesus said it. There's a settled conviction in my heart. Now I choose to walk by faith. I take the long 20-mile journey home. Now, when I read the Bible, a lot of times I want to get into the white spaces of the Bible. I, I want a little bit more commentary. And when I read between verse 50 and 51, that's where I, I wedge in some questions. Because it says at the end of verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now, wait a minute. Not so fast here, John. Give me a little bit more here because this father's heart was in anguish. And his plans about how God would work out the situation just, just got exploded. Je all Jesus gave this man was a word. What was he thinking as he began the long journey home? How was he rationalizing in his mind? Did he ever begin to doubt? Did his faith waver? At the eight-mile marker on this 20-mile journey, was he tempted to run back to Canaan of Galilee and say, no, Jesus, I wanted you to come all the way here and do it this way. I need to know. 
And that's the way it is when you, when you walk out in faith and all you have is a word from God. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a harder walk of faith, is it not? It's a deeper walk of faith. Absent of all the props that we think we need to walk by faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He hadn't seen his son, but Jesus told him he would be well. It's a walk of faith, taking Jesus at his word. I love, though, how somewhere along the journey here, the servants come and they confirm uh, the story. It says, uh, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. <laughs> that's, that's when I see a smile coming over this nobleman's faith or face. Because it says, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Have you ever taken a step of faith just based on the Word of God? And you feel like, man, I'm flying blind here. I'm just, I'm just trusting God's Word to me. And then the confirmation comes that the step of faith you took was the right step. I've had that happen before. I feel like I'm kind of, you know, flying by instruments here. You know, you pilots out there, love to have just blue skies ahead, but when all the weather is contrary and all you have are the instruments, the Bible's like the instrument panel for a pilot. And you either trust the instrument panel as a pilot when the weather is contrary or you don't. That's all you got. You haven't got any visual markers out there. All you have are the instrument panels. This is the instrument panel to help us fly and to walk by faith. So you humbly go to Jesus. You uh, take Jesus at His sovereign word. And then thirdly, uh, you share your belief with others. Look at verse 53. The Father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Don't you love that? There's a mini revival going on in this nobleman's house. But there's more than that. Because I thought, I thought it said in verse 50, the man believed. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And then it says in verse 53, and he himself believed in all his household. Uh, some might say that belief kind of comes in stages a little bit. Remember the guy in the Gospels that said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I feel like that a lot of times. You know, I've got a wobbly faith, a wavering faith maybe, like James talks about in James chapter 1. I believe, but ah, this is hard. He just gave me a word. I, I, when he got the confirmation, the man's belief deepened even further, so much so that he was willing to share his faith and his belief with others, starting with his own household. Now, keep in mind, he was a nobleman. He was a, an important government official. For him to go public with his faith and a household faith to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that was risky business for him. But there was more than just kind of the wobbly faith. Now there was a settled conviction in his heart, a settled conviction to where he couldn't help share it with other people. 
We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to check out our online store where you'll find resources that will help you grow in your faith. That's somethinggoodradio.org. For your gift to Something Good Radio today, we'll give you the complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, Believe, The Miracles of Jesus. That's all nine messages in Ron's teaching series, Believe, The Miracles of Jesus. We'll be sharing this content with our monthly partners, but today, it's our thank you gift to you as well when you give your gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org, that's somethinggoodradio.org, or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Long Distance Miracle. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. God said it. I believe it. That's good enough for me. I don't need a sign. I don't need a miracle. I don't need a wonder to make me believe. And that's the kind of faith where the Bible says without faith, without that kind of biblical faith, it's impossible to please God. Oh, it might get you started, But Jesus isn't going to leave you there. He's going to challenge. He's going to, uh, uh, you know, put a little resistance in you a little bit. You're just one of those signs and wonders kind of people, huh? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I've really come to get your help, Jesus. Simple things, right? Your faith is in crisis. Your faith is facing a crisis today. Humbly go to Jesus. Uh, Sometimes it takes a crisis to humble us enough to go to Jesus, doesn't it? Are you at the end of your resources today? Fact of the matter is you've had faith in faith, you've had faith in human nature, you've had faith in all yourself, all of your degrees, all of your experiences, maybe faith in medical science, maybe faith in government, maybe faith in everything but faith in Jesus. And sometimes it's the crisis that God allows into our life that helps aim our faith in the right person, the person of Jesus. But to as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe, it doesn't stop there, believe in his name. Biblical faith has a direction. Biblical faith has motion. It's not enough, you know, faith is not what you see, it's not what you feel, it's what you do, it's what you act upon given what you know to be true about God. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. We're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. But faith always has motion to it. It's moving towards something. We're acting on the knowledge that we have about God that He has revealed to us in His Word. That's a biblical faith. And the kind that can say, yeah, I believe, I believe. Now before we finish up, let me just share one more thing with you. And this may seem like kind of a a hard shift in gears, but it's really not. I want to talk a little bit just briefly about science, miracles, and the Bible. Because last time when we were in Cana of Galilee and we talked about the water turning into wine, that miracle that Jesus performed, the first one, I, I, I talked a little bit about a creation connection. I said this was a miracle where Jesus demonstrated His sovereignty 
over time because he created the best wine. And we all know that the best wine must go through a long fermenting promise or process. The best of wines, the most expensive one, you know, are in the barrel for years and years. But Jesus, in a matter of seconds, turned the water into wine, and it was the best wine, a demonstration of his sovereignty over time. I call this the long-distance miracle because this is a demonstration of his sovereignty over space. Now, I want to take you back to your uh, fifth-grade science class. Are you smarter than a fifth-grader this morning? I hope you are. Back in 1882, there was a biologist, a sociologist, a philosopher and a Darwinian evolutionist named Herbert Spencer who came up with uh, the five manifestations of natural phenomenon. And they were time, force, energy, space, and matter. You learn about this in your fifth grade science class and the importance of it. And, you know, when people say that the Bible and science don't harmonize, before I get to the miracles of Jesus, I always like to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and the first 10 words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's put this alongside the five manifestations of natural phenomenon. In the beginning, that's time. God, what a force, created, there's energy. The heavens, that's space, and the earth, there's matter. Next time you think that the Bible and science don't harmonize, just read the first 10 words of the Bible. And just remember, sometimes it just takes science a little bit of time to catch up to what God already knows, okay? I love science. I love scientists. I have great respect for them. But science has its limitations as well. There was a time in history where the greatest scientific minds on this earth thought the earth was flat. They were wrong. What are they wrong about today? I don't know. But sometimes science takes a little bit of time to catch up to what God already knows. What does this have to do with the miracles of Jesus? Well, it's interesting, as you study the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John, Jesus demonstrates his sovereignty over the five manifestations of natural phenomenon. I already mentioned the water to wine in Cana of Galilee. He demonstrates his sovereignty over time. The healing of the nobleman's son, a long-distance miracle. He demonstrates his sovereignty over space. When he walked on the water, and calmed the raging sea of Galilee. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. He demonstrates his sovereignty over the forces of nature. And when he healed a blind man by taking some dirt of the earth and spitting into it and packing the blind man's eyes, he demonstrated his sovereignty over matter. And we could argue that all of the miracles of Jesus, not just the eight in John's gospel, but all 37 of them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, demonstrate his sovereignty over power and energy. You see, there's more than meets the eye in these, these simple stories. They challenge our faith. Hopefully, they inspire us to believe. Uh, but even when it comes to science, miracles, and the Bible, it's maybe given us another thing to say, I, I, I believe, another reason to believe. And I just want to leave you with this question today. What's keeping you from believing in Jesus today? I'm not asking you whether you have faith, because you know the next question I'll ask. What kind of faith? I'm asking you whether you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names, 
the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The only name in heaven and earth that is worthy of our faith and of our childlike belief that makes us children of God. What's keeping you from believing in Jesus today? Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good message, The Long Distance Miracle. And Ron, let's say someone is facing a crisis today, much like the man in today's message whose son was at a point of death. As you said, he went to Jesus in all humility. And that's the first step for all of us who may be in a crisis mode. So for those listening today who are facing one of life's challenges, what should his or her prayer sound like? What does approaching God in humility look like in the life of a believer in Christ? That's a great question, Brian. I actually have two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Uh, now, to me, the best example of humbly going to God comes from God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you remember that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, If possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Here Jesus faces the ultimate challenge. He is in a crisis, and unless God delivers him, he's about to be tortured and killed. And here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't go to his heavenly Father with a demand for deliverance. He doesn't employ what some call the name-it-and-claim-it philosophy. No, no, instead he says, Father, I love you and have faith in you whether you deliver me or not. Now, having said that, should we approach God with confidence as well as humility? I say absolutely. Should we pray fervently and get others to join in asking for healing or deliverance? No question about it. But underneath it all, our hope and, yes, our confidence and even our faith should be in God himself, not in what he can do for us, but in who he is. And so when a person is truly humble before God, he or she is saying, in effect, what Jesus said. God, here's what I'd like to have happen, but I fully submit to you and to your will, whatever that is. If you heal me, I'll shout it from the mountaintops. If you don't, I'll still worship you anyway, because I'd rather be sick and in your will than be fully healthy outside of it. And that leads to the second example, because that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in the book of Daniel. Remember these words? God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will worship him and we will refuse to worship your false gods. Now, these two examples of what it means to humbly approach God in a crisis are, are instructive for us today. And I want to encourage our listeners, if you're going through a crisis, if a loved one is dying, or if you yourself are battling an illness, pray fervently for healing. Get others to join you and agree with you for that. But don't allow your faith in God to be determined by his answer. Acknowledge his power and at the same time submit to his will and to his wisdom. That's what humble faith in God looks like. What a welcome reminder to all of us that true faith, like true love, is unconditional. Thanks so much for that word, Ron. Now, before we go, let's talk for a minute about where you're headed next as you continue your teaching series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. 
Yes, well, for those, Brian, who are joining us for the first time or for anyone who may have missed the past day or two, we are taking a look at the eight miracles of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. Now, there were 37 recorded miracles in all, but our focus in this series is on the eight in John's Gospel, each of which is designed to deepen our faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Tomorrow, we come to what I call the poolside miracle. And to an extremely important question, Jesus asked the infirmed man, do you want to be made well? Maybe he's asking that same question to some of us. And I believe this promises to be an eye-opening message, so I hope you'll join me tomorrow as we dive into the poolside. Join us then for something good when Ron shares his message, The Poolside Miracle. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.